Well, this morning we are in our series, 1 John, and if you have your Bibles this morning or your device, please turn to 1 John chapter 4, and we're talking about the Apostle John and, the, and his epistle, 1 John. He's the oldest apostle, remember, one of the last, well, actually he was the last one of the original apostles to die. He was one of the closest friends of Jesus. You had the disciples, you had the 70, uh, you had the 12, and then you had the three, Peter, James, and John, okay? And he was one of Jesus' closest friends. John wrote the Gospel of John, and that's a gospel that we very often use to witness to people, to people that don't know the Lord, uh, because that gospel really uh, exemplifies Jesus uh, both in his deity and in his natural state, and what he's done on the cross for us. So we use a lot of verses of scripture out of the Gospel of John to witness. And so he wrote that, and then uh, get, paints a perfect picture of Jesus. And he also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, which we're in 1st John this morning, his epistles to the church and the churches, and they address issues that the churches had uh, more than 50 years after the day of Pentecost. So this is about 50 years after Pentecost, and John writes these epistles to deal with issues that are going on in the church, and he sees these things because uh, John has been around, he walked with Jesus, he's been through the whole church thing, he's done church, and uh, he's seen the ups and downs and uh, disappointments and successes, and so now he has something to give and something to turn over to the churches, and so he writes his epistles, and then uh, these churches were going for five decades, you know, after uh, Jesus. And then after that, he addresses these problems. He writes the book of Revelation. And book, the book of Revelation, some say, is one of the hardest books of the Bible to understand and to interpret. Uh, you know, and, and, and you know, John, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John is the same John that wrote the book of Revelation there on that island of Patmos. He was caught up with the Lord. And so he wrote all these things. And when we talk about the Apostle John, we're talking about someone who's spread broad. We're talking about someone who's a heart man. He's a mind man. He's a spirit man. He's a man of love. He's a man of understanding. And he's a man who comes also against sin. He's a man of standards. Come on. John is broad. If you had an opportunity or a chance to sit down with the Apostle John at your house or maybe at Starbucks or someplace, you would take advantage of that opportunity. Why? Because John has something to share. John has something to pass on. He's a person uh, that you can just sit with and listen to about his escapades with Jesus, both before and after Jesus. And he can share all of these things. Uh, he had great revelation. He has something to share, not only uh, with you uh, from the spirit realm, but in the practical realm. And so John is a broad man. But what he's shared with us so far has been about us walking in the light, right? Let the light expose everything that's not like God. And uh, we'll find out today that that's something that shouldn't uh, make us fearful or be afraid because really we don't want those things that are not like God in our life. Okay? So he'll shed the light on all those things to us. We can see those things, and then we begin to walk in the light. And if you walk in the light, you won't sin. 
But he says, should you fall short, you have an advocate. You confess your sin to the Father, and he removes that sin from you, and then you get your second chance. And then he tells us uh, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 to walk in love, that God is love. God doesn't love, but God is love. It's who he is. It's his very nature. Not only is God love, but God is perfect love. God's love is perfected. He's perfect love. Remember we talked about that agape love, that love that doesn't need anything back from you, that love that can endure offense, that love that can endure a disappointment. That's the kind of love that God has set upon us. He tells us, he says, let us love one another. Why? Because God is what? He is love. His very nature is love. His very essence, his personality, it's who he is to love. And he says that we should love one another because his love is in us. How many of you, if I were to ask for you to raise your hands this morning, how many of you would say that you have perfect love in you right now? Just perfect. Right, no. Nobody can raise their hand. How many of you would say that God is perfect love? Come on, how many of you would agree with that? Okay. How many would say Jesus is perfect love? All right. How many of you would say that God, that Jesus is living in you? Okay? All right, now let me ask that initial question a different way. How many of you would say that you have the potential and the power and everything you need for perfect love? Come on now. If God lives in us, we have everything we need to have our love perfected and to live with a perfect love toward others. Jesus didn't suggest it to us through John. John didn't say it's something that you should try to maybe accomplish in your life, and if you don't, oh well, at least you reached for it. John gives us a command from Jesus to love one another the way that he loved us. He says, do unto others what you would have them do to you. Treat others the way that you want them to treat you, not the way that they treat you. Come on. We're talking this morning about a perfect love. We're in John chapter 4, verse John chapter 4, and let's, let's begin down about verse 7. If you follow along with me, this recaps some about, something about what, what John was talking about earlier about uh, his love, but it also goes into something that we're going to talk about today. It says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, why? Because God is love. Let us love one another because love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God or anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We're going to go from verse 7 and go all the way down to about verse 20. So just hang in there. Come on, follow along here. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, that word propitiation is in uh, the New King James Version. And so you can go to the next slide, Nia. It's in the New King James Version. It's also in the King James, uh, the English Standard Version. All that means is to put in pl- to get back in favor. In other words, you know, uh, when oftentimes I find myself maybe not in such good favor you know, with my wife because I, you know, did something or said something and didn't realize it. And so maybe I go buy flowers, you know, as a propitiation, you know, and then maybe I can get back in favor with her. So that's all that means. It means he, Jesus was in our place and God was going, yep, you guys are separated from me. And then Jesus stood in the place and he said, okay, all right, it's okay now. You know, those, those flowers are pretty. You brought me flowers. You did a good thing. And so that's, that's all that word means. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that uh, he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is what? Perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now here's what we want to get to today. This verse 18. There is no fear in love. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, we're focusing this morning on this verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out what? It casts out fear. This is why love has to be, it has to, has to, has to be perfected in us. Because there cannot be any fear in us. We cannot walk in fear. Now, let's measure God's love by your love and by your experiences. Don't measure God's love by how you feel or your circumstances. Come on. Because his love never changes. And then you must realize that you were created by God to be loved and also to love others, watch now, in that same way. You were created by God to be loved and to also love others in that same way. Loving others the way that you want to love them, saints, is not good enough. 
that love must mature in us. You see, the perfecting love of God, the presence of God in us is the way love is perfected in us. It's something that grows in us, the mature love of God that allows us to trust and hope in God. And we grow in this love and we are perfected in this love. Remember back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And then this series is based on that verse 6 back in chapter 2 saying that, Listen, if you know Jesus, if Jesus in you is in you, then you ought to live like him. Live like Jesus with a perfect love. So here's very briefly what we want to focus on today. There is something that can stop that perfect love in you. I mean, we can name many things like sin. Sin can stop the perfect love from flowing through you. Come on, can it? Right? There are many things that could probably stop that love. But the greatest thing to me is this word here, fear. Love has no room for fear. There is no room for fear in love, folks. You cannot be afraid to move forward in God. Now, the fear we're talking about this morning is not that fear that is reverence for God, because we are to fear God. That is a, a reverence, right? Because he's the almighty God. Come on, he's holy. We're not talking about, which this is really not fear, but we interpret it as fear, uh, we're not talking about that fear that, you know, when you see a lion, you go over and tease him, all right? You wouldn't do that, right? That would just be unwise. That's really, uh, I wouldn't call that, you know, fear. I would just call that uh, stupidity. Yeah, okay, you know, something like that, all right? But that type of fear, that's a healthy thing, right? But we're talking about the fear that when you know that the Lord is working in your life, you know what the Word of God says. And you're afraid to step forward and do it. Turn over to Deuteronomy with me. This is not part of it today, but I just, it just came to me this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Uh, I don't have the scripture up there for you, but if you, if you can turn over there very quickly. Look at these first couple verses. This explains what I'm talking about here when we're talking about fear. All right? Deuteronomy chapter 7. You remember God's chosen people and uh, about them going into the promised land, right? And uh, God is talking to his people about going over there and conquering the land. Listen, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, he's telling them what he's going to do. He said, I'm going to bring you into the land and I'm going to clear away many nations before you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. He didn't leave out any ites. Seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You see, you see what he said? He said, when you see all these ites and all these things in front of you, they're more powerful than you. You can't do it by yourself. You're not going to be able to do it. If you try to go without me, you will not be successful. He said, but if you allow me to work through you, I'll clear the path for you. 
You see, their blessing, that promised land, was right on the other side of their fears. It was right on the other side of their fears. But the fear would stop them from moving over. You remember when the 12 spies went across? Come on. Two of them came back, and they didn't deny that there were giants in the land. So yeah, there's giants. But we got God. Come on. Come on now. David said the same thing. Please. <laughs> you may be nine foot, but the, the one that's on my side created you, enemy. Come on. And I can defeat you. But what stopped a million people from going across that two people knew? It was the fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what they saw before them. Even after God told them, I gave you the land. You just have to go conquer it. Love, saints, if we're going to love like God, if we're going to live a victorious life like God wants us to live, then there is no room for fear. Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you still have some fears in your life, I believe we're going to get rid of those today. We're going to pray and get rid of We're going to cast those things out. If you still have some fears in your life, you have not been made perfect in love. And today, God wants to make us all perfect in love so that we can move forward in him. Listen to it in the message. It says, there is no room for, in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. It says, since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We could go into a whole sermon on faith, but we don't have time today. We'll get to that. Fear will keep you from your blessing. Faith is the vehicle that takes you to your blessing. Where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out fear. It drives out fear. Do you know that every time Jesus came on the scene to confront someone, whether it was his disciples or whoever, very often anyway, first words out of his mouth were, do not fear. Fear not. Have no fear. In fact, Jesus, who is the greatest evangelist, both pulpit evangelist and relational evangelist that ever walked the earth, uh, gave us a great example over in Luke, I believe it's in uh, chapter 4, when uh, he, he first called Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were all together. You probably remember the story. And Jesus was going around, he had healed a few people, turned some water to wine, done a few things, and, and the people now are following him, and he comes to the lake, and he sees uh, some boats out there with some fishermen, and uh, he finds Peter and James and John. They got their little business. You know, they have their fishing business, right, and they're doing pretty well. And uh, one night, they were out all night fishing and didn't catch anything. And now Jesus comes here in the morning. All these people are following him, and he's going to try to teach them and talk to them. So he sees Peter over in his boat. Peter's probably gathering his nets. He didn't catch anything, so they're packing up. And John, he's like, John, give me the thing over there. We're going to put it all up and go home. And Jesus says, hang on a second. And they're like, oh, Jesus, what does he want? And so he says, I'm going to step into the boat. I need to talk to these people. And he pushes out a little bit from the shore. 
So there they are sitting there. Oh, God, now we got to, I'm sleepy. You know, we've been out here all night. Now he wants to start talking, and he wants to use our boat. So he's standing in the boat, talking to the people, teaching them about the kingdom of God and how to overcome and teaching them about faith and how much God loves them and all of that. And when he gets done, he does his benediction. He says, God bless you. Go in peace. Go have breakfast. And uh, he looks over at Peter, and, and Peter's saying, okay, are you finished now? Can we go? And uh, he says, cast your nets out on the right side of the boat. And Peter, now James and John were there also. Remember, our apostle that we're talking about was right there with them because they had their business together. But John was kind of quiet at this time. You know, he hadn't been to the island of Patmos. He hadn't been caught up in the spirit yet, you know. So he was the quiet one. And, and James was a little quiet also at this time. Peter was never quiet. He's the one who, who, who said, hey, we've been fishing all night. Looked over at John. John was like, he said, okay, nevertheless, at your word, we'll cast out our nets. Peter casts his net out, and he says, whoa, John, come here, James. And there's too many fish in the net for them to get. Now they start calling other boats, Joe, Larry, we need some help. So they bring the other boats over, and they, they have a catch they never had before. And they need more boats to help them take this thing in. Now, Peter has a revelation, an epiphany. I don't know if you've ever had one of these things, but it's, it's kind of like one of those things when you realize something all of a sudden. I'll give you an example. Uh, you, you know, you're supposed to go pick up your daughter from school, 3.30. Maybe you're off work that day. So you're sitting around at home doing this and that. You know, you know it's about 2.30 now, so in about 45 minutes you're going to have to leave. So you sit down on the couch, maybe turn on the TV, you got some coffee or some juice there, and all of a sudden, you open your eyes. And you're like, what happened? I, did I fall asleep? And you look down at your watch, and it's 10 minutes after 4. You have what I call an epiphany. Oh, my God! What? I must have fallen asleep. And you rush to get your daughter. This is the type of thing that happened to Peter here. All of a sudden, he had an epiphany. When, when, all, when all this stuff happened, now listen, Peter was a good fisherman. Come on. This was their business. Him, John, James, this was their business. They knew what they were doing. I mean, come on now, Jesus, you, you know how to make tables, all right? I understand that. You can make some chairs. But when it comes to fishing, we know how to do this. We got this. And so when Jesus said that, just spoke a word, and they caught more fish than they had ever caught in their lives, Peter got an epiphany and said, whoa. And then he, he, he went and knelt down in front of Jesus. And he said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Now, a side note here. So I talk about Jesus as one of the greatest relational evangelists that there ever was. You know, when you think about being an evangelist, you think you have to be up here at the pulpit or standing down at People's Park somewhere and preaching to people with a microphone. But look how Jesus did it. Now, he, he, he taught people that wanted to hear what he had to say. But look how he got Peter, James, and John. He went to them, to their business, blessed them in their business. They prospered in their business. They prospered. And when they prospered, they said, whoa, I want to be on this guy's side. They got the revelation. Come on, relational evangelists. Bless people. 
You want to win somebody? Go bless them. Don't tell them how much of a sinner they are. They know that already. They may act like they don't know it. They know it. You don't need to remind them how much sin they're in and how bad they're in, how good you are and how bad they are. Bless them. Come on, that's just a little side note, relational evangelist. But this is, Peter is falling down before Jesus and he says, depart from me. Now, we grew up together. I didn't even realize. I didn't even know who you were. And now it hits me who you are. You know what Jesus says to him? He says, do not be afraid. He says, do not fear, Peter, for now you will be fishers. You will be a fisher of men. You, John, James, come go with me. You will be fishers of men. When Jesus confronts us, anything he does, he tells us, do not be afraid. I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You sit in high places, in heavenly places with me. Why then are you afraid? Fears. We all have childhood memories and childhood fears. Come on. Perhaps you, like my son, needs a a nightlight in his room. Maybe you needed that when you were growing up. Keep unseen evil away. (laughs) Maybe you had a basement that made noises and you believed something was living down there in the basement, ready to jump out and snatch you. When I was growing up, we had a and many of you know this same story, probably just a little differently. But when I was growing up, uh, Lexi, we had this house that was uh, in our neighborhood. It was you go out of our house and, and make a right, and then you make a right on this street, Minnesota, and go all the way down. And all the way down near the woods, there was this house way back there on the street. And uh, me and my friends, uh, you know, they would tell me, if you walk past that house, there was a lady named Mary that used to live there. If you walk past that house and you say her name five times, she's, I don't even know what would happen. They, you know, I don't even know if they got, because I was so scared by then, I didn't even know, want to know what happened. I guess she would come out and snatch you or something and, you know, stab you or make you eat some broccoli. I don't know what it was. She would make you, you know, whatever kids are afraid of, you know, and you would say her name five times. Do you know that we never went past that house and said, we ran past the house and we might even say her name four times. But no one ever said her name five times that I know of because we were so afraid. Isn't it amazing the things that people will believe? Come on, adults believe those type of things too. Maybe not about Mary, but we have some silly fears that are the same way. But when you tell them God was going to do something for you, well, I don't know about all that. You know, that's a little hard to believe. You'll believe all these other things. You'll believe the news. That's why I don't hardly watch the news that much. I know you got to watch the news. I know you do. I understand. You know, people tell me you got to at least watch some news. But I, I, I never know what's going on. I'm telling you, I get around my friends. And see, Didi says, it's true. I get around my friends. Oh, did you hear about the thing? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't the game or if it wasn't America's Funniest Videos or something like that, you know, I, or House Hunters. You know, my wife got me watching House Hunters. It's one of the craziest shows I've ever seen. Two-bedroom house, $850,000. What? Are you kidding me? Who are these people? And where do they work? But you get a two-bedroom house for $850,000. I'm sure it's like that in New York, guys. I don't know, but you know, house hunters. Anyway, we have all these fears. 
two words here that we have to abolish and banish, fear and torment. torment it really torments you. It really does. When you have a fear, it torments you. And, and if we're going to move forward, God doesn't want us in that. Let me give you my definition of fear. Here's what it is. Fear is a distressing emotion. Come on. Aroused by a real or imagined threat that paralyzes you from any good action. And it causes worry, anger, depression, sickness, and constant paranoia. That's what fear does to you. Paralyzes you. Makes you, you can't move. Can't do anything. I can't. You ever been so afraid you couldn't even talk? Couldn't even say anything? And we went to the carnival the other day. What was that thing called? The Arbuckle Carnival something up in Brownsburg. It's just a carnival. You know, it's not like it's the fair or King's Island, you know. So, you know, Dee Dee and I got on a ride. Man, I'm telling you, we couldn't even scream. No, what was the one you got on? The one that drops all the way down. She said, huh! <laughs> couldn't even make a noise. <laughs> I tell you what. Uh, it puts a new meaning to the phrase, I'm too old for this. <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> but fear, it, it torments us. It really does. It just, it grabs people in all seasons of life. People have these things called phobias, right? You've heard of that. All types of different phobias. So I was looking at this and I thought, what kind of phobias are there that we have that we need to get over? You'd be surprised at all the phobias that people have. Now, I'm not glorifying these things, but I'm just, I chuckle because it's so funny. Look at some of the phobias that people have. It, fear of confined, confined spaces. We know about that, right? Claustrophobia. Heard of that before, right? But people also have a fear of sunlight. You know that? Don't want to go out in the sunlight. I'm the opposite of that. I love the sun. Go out in the sunlight. People have a fear of hair. Now, that's not my fear, okay? But some people do have a fear of hair. And then there's those other people, and I hope there are none in here. Maybe that's why some of the seats are empty, because there's a fear of bald people. Did you know that? Ah. There's a fear of bald people. Pilotophobia. Some people have a fear of music. Yeah, can you believe it? That's a, these are things, I, I'm not making these up. I couldn't even spell these phobias, so. And this one's not so hard to believe because I see my kids. Some people have a fear of vegetables. Yeah, don't they? They have a fear of vegetables. Yeah, Bobby. That's right. Unbelievably, some people have, and, and there's something more amazing to this than just the fear. Some people have a fear of long words. And it's explained by a long word. What is that all about? <laughs> really? No wonder. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid of that too. <laughs> Hippopotamus is striking like a ball, but the phobia? Grief. <laughs> Some people have a fear of peanut butter getting stuck to the roof of their mouth. Real phobias. Some people have a fear of ugliness. Some people have a fear of crossing the road. The chicken didn't get that one. Some people have a fear of beards. Some people, <laughs> some people have a fear of string. 
you know, I could go on and on. It's amazing some of the fears and some of the phobias that people have. But when you say God is going to do something for you, oh, I just can't believe that. No, that's just too unrealistic. Just hard for me to believe that there's some supreme being out there that just loves me. It's unbelievable. Really? But you're afraid of strings. Come on. We have to get over these fears. Fear has a destructive power. There are a few forces, and I hope you write some of these down. There are a few forces because fear, let me tell you, fear, fear is a spirit. You know that? Because Paul told Timothy, right? God has not given you the spirit of fear. And he replaced it with the other three, right? Power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is a spirit. And don't you realize that the, the spirit doesn't come upon you when you when all of a sudden when you become fearful. That's, that spirit is out there laying dormant, just waiting. Waiting for you to cross over to the promised land, and then all of a sudden it, it manifests. It manifests itself. But if we have a perfect love, if we've been perfected in love, it won't phase us, saints. We can walk right through that thing. I can say, Mary, 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 Mary. Because I can say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's a name that's above every name, including Mary. <laughs> Come on. Now, if anybody's named Mary, I apologize. I don't mean. There are some things that we need to get through. Number one, I hope you write some of these down or remember these. Fear-based thoughts. Fear-based thoughts will absolutely cripple us. Because and these are the thoughts that we haven't even done it yet. We haven't even gone to the bank to get our mortgage. We haven't even gone to ask, you know, uh, if we can get this or we can do that thing. We haven't even asked that person to the dance. Come on. And, but the thoughts are already in our mind. Well, they pro that probably won't happen. I mean, you know, as soon as I try to go over there, I'll probably, they'll probably say no. Or, you know, this and that's going to happen. That's going to happen. This is going to happen. And all these thoughts come in our mind. These wrong thoughts invade our mind and they cripple us and keep us from moving forward. And then right on the right on the back of that are fear-filled words. Boy, this is a big one. It really is. I mean, we, you know, how many times do we have to talk about confession? Right? We do not need fear-filled words coming out of our mouth. And that's why I love what Brother Jeffrey Hauser said. Listen, Mom, don't let anybody in here that's not talking the word of God. Right? Don't let anyone in here that's doing that. I don't want any fear-filled words. What about fear-based information? Again, look, looking at the news. <laughs> fear-based information is bad. We receive it all day. We have to dismiss it, folks. Why? Because fear does this. It magnifies problems. And what we should be doing is magnifying the Lord and his blessings upon us. We sang it this morning, I will exalt you. I will exalt you, not my problems. I will exalt you, not my fears. I will confess you. Fear causes us to be powerless. It, it makes us believe that we can't do anything about it. Oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it. What can I do? It causes us to be powerless. Fear paralyzes the soul. We can't move. We can't do anything. Come on. Fear is torment to us. Fear brings bondage. It won't let us do anything. 
These are all the things that fear does to us. Now, how do we overcome this thing? Very quickly. How do we cast out fear? It says perfect love casts out fear. How do we do that? How do we confront our fear? Well, number one is we need to choose intentional right thinking. We need to choose that. Bring every thought under the captivity of Christ, Corinthians said. Paul told the Corinthians this. Bring every thought, no matter what thought that comes into your mind. I can't do that. No, bring it under the captivity of Christ. Change your mind. You have the power to change and to choose the thoughts that you put into your mind. You can fix your thoughts on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. You can choose rational and right thinking. Rational thinking recognizes that God is greater than your need or your problem. In science, they have this thing, this, this theory this thing called Occam's Razor. And, and they use it very often to debunk, uh, you know, Christianity or Christian beliefs. But to me, if you, <laughs> it's just so silly. And what, this, what this thought says is that uh, all things being equal, the most logical explanation has to be the right one. You guys know, you guys are in college, you've heard of Occam's Razor. All things being equal, the most logical explanation has to be the right one. So with that thought process in mind, what I then begin to think is, what is more logical? That at some point in time, some random point in time, some gases that came from nowhere, nobody, no one knows where they came, they were just gases that were in the you know, universe and some stars, all of a sudden collided together, blew up, made a big bang, and complicated DNA, cells, life came from that. Or that someone, an intelligent design, created all of these things and put them in their perfect place. To me, what's more logical? I'm telling you, we need to choose some rational thinking as it applies to the Word of God. Now, I didn't say sense thinking because, you see, faith sometimes doesn't make any sense. And sense sometimes doesn't bring you faith. Only the word of God does. Faith comes by hearing, not hearing sense, but hearing the word of God. But if you read the word of God and think about it rationally, you'll come to realize, listen, I don't have to be afraid. God has already caused me to overcome. And then you can look back in your life and see how he caused you to overcome in other situations. And then I can look at others' lives who've gone before me and see how they have overcome rationalize, rationalize it out. Just look at it. The evidence is in what you see and what God has told you. Choose scriptural thinking. Fill your mind with God's thoughts, his thoughts that are revealed in his word. He said, for I know the thoughts I have toward you. Come on, thoughts of what? Peace, not evil to give you a future and a hope, to give you a good end. God has those thoughts for you. We need to think like him. Choose scriptural confession. Again, don't go in his room if you're speaking negative. Well, yeah, I know, and you know, I know my aunt had a stroke just like that, and she just had to deal with that for the rest of her life. That's probably something you're just going to have to deal with. You won't be able to have any feeling on your left side. Da, 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 da. You won't be able to think right. You won't be. That's not what the word of God says. 
It's not what the word of God says. What the word of God says is that by his stripes, you were healed. All of your infirmities, infirmities were put upon him. He was given many stripes. And when you, when you wallow in this, that type of thinking, do you not realize that you are really slapping the Lord in the face? Think about this. Think about if you sacrifice something for someone and it caused you pain. Maybe you, it cost you money. Maybe it caused you to, to, to delay or to, to, to cancel a vacation or something that you wanted to do, but you sacrificed it for someone else. Okay? Imagine that. And then imagine they don't even do the thing that they said they were going to do that you sacrificed for, and then they don't even appreciate the fact that you sacrificed. Okay? Now, multiply that by 10 to the 9 millionth power. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took your sicknesses. He took your disease on the cross. For us to wallow in those things, for us to wallow in sin and keep doing it over and over and over is to slap him in the face. We need to choose scriptural confession. And if you don't know what to say, then get in this thing. Start reading it. Look up all the scriptures on healing, on overcoming, on your blessings. Come on. And then begin to speak those things. That's what God wants you to do. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us that spirit of fear. But he has given us a spirit of power. He's given us a spirit of love that will be perfected in us. And saints, I want to tell you something. He's given you the spirit of a sound mind. And so we need to think about it. We need to rationalize this thing out. Here's what I want to do this morning. Let's, let's put this up on the board, Nia. Let's say this prayer together. We're going to get fear out of our life today. We're going to remove it from our life, those stumbling blocks, those things that keep us from uh, doing what God wants us to do. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's say this prayer together. Think about it. Let it be in your heart, and let's mean it, okay? All right, here we go. Let's go. Spirit of fear. I reject you in Jesus' name. You have no place in my life. My Father God loves me and promises to protect me, provide for me, guide me, and use me for his kingdom. Today I declare I have the mind of Christ and I will not fear any giant in my way. God's perfect love in me leaves no room for fear. Now, Lord, we just come before you this morning.